Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. We've been singing a lot this morning about how the blood of Jesus covers our sins and about how we can have life in his name and have hope and have freedom. And we are entering into our second week on a series called Thanksgiving. And we're talking about stewardship during this month of giving thanks. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Um, We sang some great lyrics this morning that reminded us that we are adopted into God's family, that God is for us, that he's not against us. And the amazing thing about the Christian life is that we don't live it in our own power, in our own strength, or on our own. God has given us himself. He's given us himself through the Holy Spirit to empower us and to lead and to guide us. And that should be a great encouragement to the body of Christ today. Uh, because we live in a very, very difficult world in which um, wickedness and in which um, uh, opposition to God abounds, and it can be hard to say, Lord, how how do we live faithfully here in this context? And God has given us his word, and he's given us himself, and I'm grateful for that today. And really, one of the main reasons I'm grateful for that is, is I can live from a state of rest in knowing who I am and knowing that Christ is sufficient Um, And one of those areas where we're called to live from is one that can kind of touch our hearts and our, 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 um, our lives and our wallets pretty closely because we're talking about stewardship and we're talking about money and we're talking about possessions. And one of the reasons we're talking about this is because Jesus talks about it. Um, Brandy Alcorn uh, has said that 15% of Jesus' teachings directly relate to money and possessions. And one of the reasons is because they so quickly get a hold on our life. And we're, we're often bombarded with a whole bunch of ways in which we should invest this or do this. I don't know how many of you have ever heard a buy gold commercial. Anybody ever heard a buy gold commercial? Like, you need to right now. Otherwise, you know, um, I'm not here to give you in, investing advice for monies and securities and all that kind of stuff in the earthly frame today. But what we want to do is we want to look at... <laughs> What does Jesus have to say about how we invest the things that he has entrusted to us? So last week we talked about um, how God is the owner of it all. We are, his, we are his managers. This week we talk about the principle that comes in Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you're able, I invite you to rise in spirit or in body for the reading of the scriptures today. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep or how great is that darkness? Finally, Jesus says, no one can be a slave of two masters. Since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says, you cannot be slaves of God and of money. 
These are the words of the Lord. Father, we thank you for today. And as we gather, uh, we are grateful for your word that is eternal, your word that is um, able to instruct and to lead us and train us in all righteousness and godliness. And God, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, the word who became flesh, who made his dwelling among us, and who now lives in and through your people by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that even as we gather here today, especially as we gather here today, you are our teacher. We pray that you would lead us and guide us in what is true, right, and good, that we might live for the sake of your name and for your glory. Together we pray in the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. All right, so we are looking at this principle coming from Matthew chapter 6. In in short form, he's going to talk about, in the, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll talk about in just a minute, he's going to talk about two different types of storehouses or treasuries. He's going to use a metaphor of two eyes, and then he's going to use a metaphor of two masters. So there's this two, two, two thing going on. Um, but in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, th- this kind of summarizes the, the crux of Jesus' teaching on what it means to walk as a disciple. And the amazing thing is that he starts this chapter um, by giving them some teaching that that is um, talking about things that they experienced within their religious communities. Notice this in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, So if you go, if you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by men. He says, I assure you, they have got their reward. He takes this idea and he multiplies it a couple times. So first there, he's talking about giving to the poor. Don't let that become something that becomes a status symbol for you within your community. Secondly, he says, when you pray... He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. He's expecting that they as disciples would be learning how to pray, how to talk to God, and how to hear from God. He says, don't be like the hypocrites when you pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. It says to be seen by men. Right? So there's these people who give, and they're like, oh, people saw that I give. Now there's these people who say, I've prayed, and now people have seen how holy I have prayed. He says, they have their reward, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who's in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He also says, when you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they will be heard because they will say many words in prayer. This is encouraging because sometimes it's like, well, what do I say to God? It doesn't have to be much. In fact, sometimes when we pray, we just roll off words because it becomes part of our practice. And God is saying, you know, whether you say few or whether you say many, whatever you say, let it come from you. Right? He said, your father knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to worry about whether or not God heard all those words because your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Jesus' disciples then say, well, Lord, teach us to pray. And he teaches them how to pray and how to trust God. And, And I love the way that the prayer starts. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored as holy right? They, they come to God intentionally as, um, as, as their father. 
And then they say, Jesus says, I, I want you to pray, may your name be sanctified, God, in my life. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he teaches them to pray. And then he comes down to this issue of fasting because there's people who, who fasted. In fact, he says, when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, he says, when you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites because apparently there were people there who would make it look as though they were fasting because they wanted people to see how holy and how pious they were by how their face looked after not consuming food or not consuming drink. He says, no, put oil on your face so that people don't see that you are fasting. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about you and your relationship with God and about walking in light of that, that family relationship that he is your father. So he says all these things and he says, you can find your reward in all sorts of ways if you find it on the external plane. In other words, you can look like the best Christian ever, he says, and miss the whole point. What then does this mean? So he, he, he takes all this and he's making this point. Your father knows what you need. You can trust him. Cultivate this relationship with him because he is good and he's there for you. You don't need to find your, your, your merit or your worth by all these things that are external. He doesn't say they're unimportant. He just says you don't find your merit and your worth by the things that are external. You find it in whose you are. And that is true when it comes to this principle that we're going to look at today. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because a lot of us spend a lot of time thinking about what we are going to put money in, what we're going to put time in, what we're going to put possessions in, and, and we spend a lot of time, or perhaps maybe I spend a lot of time thinking about the what instead of thinking about the why. Jesus is concerned with the why because he's concerned about how his people are his disciples on earth that they would reflect their father is who is in heaven. So let's look at these three images, the two treasuries, the two eyes, and the two masters, and apply that to what Jesus means when he says, where your treasure is, or where my treasure is, there my heart will be. The first image that is used here, the first image that is used here is one of two storehouses. In fact, you could say, um, you could translate it this way in verse 19. Don't, don't collect or store up for yourselves. You could translate it, don't stockpile for later treasures on earth. Now, now what's key here is treasures on earth because he's, he's contrasting two different kinds of treasure um, treasure intentionality, I guess. He, he's saying there's treasures on earth and then there's treasures in heaven. He says, don't store up the treasures that are on earth. He says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So you have to ask, well, what does it mean to have treasure on earth? The ancient uh, period, just like ours, had different things that they considered treasure. One of the things that they might consider treasure was gold or, or precious metals. And Jesus says here, be careful because what you store up, a couple of different things can happen to it. The first thing is that if it's like a garment, moths can get in it or, or rust can come destroy it or thieves can come break in and steal. When the goal is to amass for ourselves treasures on earth, things like gold, uh, here's actually a tomb uh, from Egypt that was plundered. It had a bunch of stuff put in it that was all taken. 
Here's a photo of, um, of a house around the time of Jesus. So you can see that this house, though, um, though small, it has some protection from outsiders, but because of the nature of the land and because of the nature of the climate, because of the nature of the houses, things could be gone, whether by moths that come in and eat clothing, or whether by mice or other rodents that come in and eat storehouses of grain, which was another great way to amass for yourself treasure or value on earth, or you could have gold hidden somewhere and it could be found or it could be stolen, even by getting through um, the mud outside of a house. You know, a hole could be made and someone could come in a different way. What he's saying is everything that we look at temporally here on earth, if you put your value solely in that, all of it can be gone like that. Just like that. Um, one um, one, One of our dear friends growing up, he was the pastor at our church, woke up one, um, one Saturday morning, uh, really, really early Friday night or, or really, really early, early Saturday morning, and they, we found out the next day they'd made the news because in the course of just a couple of hours, their house had burned to the ground. They got out safe, everyone got out safe, but they went from um, getting ready for church the next day to him needing to borrow a suit because he didn't have any clothes to wear for church. Things in this world can go like that. And Jesus says, don't store up all the things on this world, rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying here that it's wrong to save, right? He's not saying that it's wrong to save for retirement. He's not, wrong, he's not saying it's, it's wrong to, um, to purchase a home or something like that. That's not what he's saying. I, I love the way that Dr. Haddon Robinson puts this. He says, Jesus neither condemned saving nor asked everyone he met to give everything away. He warned about storing up our goods when our motive was to find our security in our possessions. He abhorred the miserly spirit that desired money and stashed it away, forgetting that money is a trust from God. He says money is not for keeping score in the game of life. It's used to meet needs. Jesus is not saying material things are bad. He's saying be careful that your relationship as a disciple of his is right with regard to possessions as it should be. Don't look to possessions to keep you secure for the future. Don't look to monies to last the stock market up and down. He says be very careful about what you treasure. Store up the right things. Why? Because he, he brings a, a spiritual principle here when he talks about treasure, and it's really important for us. Um, he's saying, I want you to invest, I want you to steward, I want you to be most concerned with the things that are in heaven, which means the things that outlast this world, the things that are eternal. Randy Alcorn says in one of his books, he says, since God, his word, and human beings are eternal, he says, what will last is used wisely for God, his word, and his people. We have legitimate needs in this world. 
However, it's very easy, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, to invest well beyond our actual needs here on earth to the point where our driving energies become obsessed with what's in it for us here and now. And Jesus is saying the here and now matters, but it matters in light of eternity. And fix your thoughts on what matters in light of eternity. In other words, live your life here on this earth based upon what is eternal. Jesus gives this interesting statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in verse 21. And, and I love that he says, he, well, he doesn't say, invest where your heart is, right? That's very postmodern. Follow your heart, live your truth. He doesn't say, invest where your heart is. He says, as a spiritual principle with regards to money and possessions, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a difference. He's not wanting us to live from our emotions or how we feel about something. He's wanting his disciples to live in light of what matters. And he says, what you focus on and where you place intention, intentionality in your life in terms of money and possessions, your heart will follow whatever that is. So if the stock market goes up and you're trying to get a huge windfall, your heart can quickly be taken and become, what's the ticker say? What's the ticker say? If you're trying to amass for yourself a, 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 a huge stockpile for later and you miss the needs that God has placed around you, you can miss the, the eternal, how we serve other people, just trying to think about the next year in the next decade, in the next century. He's not asking you to be, or asking me to be short-sighted about stuff. He wants us to actually zoom back and look at the whole of what we spend and the whole of what we invest in from his eternal perspective, not just from what's in it for me right now. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. He doesn't want people to follow their heart. God is saying, follow me and let your heart arrive at what matters to me. Because that will happen in due time when our treasure is first and foremost him. So that's the first one. In fact, this idea of living with eternity in mindset is captured so well by the quote, and you've probably seen this quote before, of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador. He said once, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is a man who lost his life with a great passion for people. He became a martyred missionary to the Waldoni people in Ecuador. And he lost his life to the people who had later come to know Jesus as the Messiah. But he had, he had such a passion for this, this tribe that was, that was savages, really, that he and a bunch of people went out there to take the gospel to this group. And in the process, he lost his life. It's, it's an incredible, heart-wrenching story but it gives perspective because he said this before he lost his life for the sake of the gospel. He had within his mind, God had settled him within what he wanted Jim to do. And he had wisdom to say, man, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Because he understood that all the treasures on earth can be gone like that. To gain what he cannot lose. He lived in light of eternity. 
How do you live in light of eternity today? That's the first image. The second image has to do with eyesight. And it says here that the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how great or how deep is that darkness? This can be a confusing metaphor to understand, uh, but it's a Hebraic metaphor. It's a Hebraic picture. To have a good eye, according to the rabbis and the sages of Jesus' time, to have a good eye meant to be generous. In in contrast, to have an evil eye meant to be stingy. So Jesus is saying, if you have a good eye, if you are generous, your whole body will be filled with light. Why? Because generosity is something that Jesus is saying describes his heart and should describe the heart and the life of those who call themselves his disciples. And, And Um, This kind of touches on what we talked about last week. As we were looking in 2 Corinthians 9, one of the verses that we read was, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. And and that's based upon what God is doing in their life. Because he says, not reluctantly or out of necessity. He says, because God loves a cheerful giver. So what we talked about last week is, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And we talked about what does it mean to sow? Well, you can sow good and you can sow evil. You can sow that which brings glory to God in the fruit of righteousness through the working of the Holy Spirit, or you can sow to the flesh and the flesh profits nothing. And so he's saying here, whatever you sow, you will reap. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves one who says, God, what do you want me to do with this? I I, I didn't tell the story last week because I ran out of time, Um, but I am not, by my own nature, a generous person. I, I, I just am not. I, I don't know why. It's, it's a practice that I, I can struggle with. I'd be like, how do I save that? How do I skimp on that? Uh, in contrast, my wife is incredibly generous. Uh, when we got married, one of the things that we learned very quickly is that she would be much more willing to give and give generously than I would be. And, and, and I caught on this, thankfully, pretty soon. And so we kind of agreed, we want to model the heart of generosity. And I struggle with generosity. So one of the things, and I'm not saying you have to do this, but this was helpful for us. Um, one of the things we agreed to do early on in our marriage was whoever, like if we felt God calling us and leading us to give towards something, to, to, to give in our faithfulness to our local church, to give in, in faithfulness and in calling to a missionary or something else, we would always take the higher number. Always. And um, to this day, I have never had the higher number. In fact, like a couple years ago, I thought, like, we, we believe that God wanted us to give some resources to, to something. And so we both kind of came up with a number in our mind. And I, I, I had the smile on my face because I was like, man, I've got the higher number this time. I, like, this is so generous. She doubled it. And I was like, oh, dagger out of my heart. Like, oh, my word, that much. Okay, we'll give that. Why? <laughs> Why? Because generosity matters. And for those of us who struggle with that, it's sometimes helpful to have others who can come alongside us and say, maybe the Lord wants us to give this. And we, oh, okay, here we go. But it's all within the frame of, all right, what matters for the kingdom? What, what matters for the gospel? What matters for God and his word and for people? We, we don't invest in a facility of a building like this so it can be a great looking building. We invest in it so that we can use it to invest in people. 
People are eternal. We want people to come into the kingdom of God that they might experience the love and the joy and the rest of knowing who they are in Christ. That's why, in part, we do this. We, we, we want to have people who have a heart for God. And we, we can't create that in you, but we can create opportunities for you to engage God and for you to experience God and for you to give generously to the work that God is doing both here and around the world for his kingdom. And one of those ways that we partner with God is we have a good eye. The third image that Jesus uses here is, um, is one that has to do with two masters. Here you have uh, a bunch of sheep with their master. I, I don't know if you've ever been around a flock of sheep, but it's amazing to hear the shepherd make whatever call that flock knows and to see them go to the right master. It's fascinating. In the Middle East, you can have multiple shepherds, multiple sheep. One shepherd calling over here with his call. The other sheep, or the other shepherd over here calling with his call. And the sheep go to the right master because they know his voice. It's fascinating. Jesus is saying here that there's also two masters that we struggle with, right? He says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and be devoted to the other, or he will love the one and he will despise the other. And he tells us what the two masters are. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon, or money, or possessions. In fact, that, that word for mammon there was a common term that meant money or property in the time of Jesus. And, and here it, it, it contrasts as an object of service that has been deified or made a God. And so he's saying, you cannot have two gods in your life. You cannot have money as a God and have me as a God. They're inconsistent with one another. And this idea of servanthood or being a slave, um, in the ancient period, the reason why you couldn't have two servants is because it wasn't like a clock in at nine and clock out at five job if you were a slave. It was whatever the master wanted, you were there for. For however long it was, you were there for. And so if you have two masters and one of them wants you here for this and the other one wants you here for this, now all of a sudden there can be a really big conflict. And he says, you guys know you can't have two masters in your life. There's no way to be called by this master and called by this master and satisfy the demands of both of them. He says, you'll either hate the one or, or he either will hate the one and love the other, or devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The, what he's saying is that in our lives, we cannot pursue money and possessions as our end goal and that be the driving force of our life and also seek his kingdom. That doesn't mean that money and possessions are irrelevant or that we should just get rid of them all. What he's saying is that one will always lead to the stewardship of the other. If money and possessions lead the, leads the stewardship first, God will become a secondary thought in the course of your every day. But if God and his will and his kingdom are that which drive everything you do, in fact, he's gonna say in the next paragraph, which we won't read, he's gonna say you have a lot of anxiety in your life. You're struggling because you're wondering, do we have enough? Why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about all these things? He says, the, the idolaters, they, they, they pursue all these things, but your father knows what you need. He says, seek first my kingdom 
in my righteousness. Because when that order is set for the believer, everything having to do with money and possessions comes into clear focus. It just does. When God and his kingdom and his word and his people are the driving force behind every part of our lives, then what do we do with this? Well, there's a need over here. Like the, the New Testament records uh, this multiple times that the early church, they, they had materials and they saw that someone had need. And so some people sold a field and, and some people gave a meal and they just said, here, I believe God wants you to have this. And it wasn't out of compulsion and it wasn't out of guilt. It was out of something that God was doing within them to meet the needs of people in their life for the sake of his kingdom. There's a place in Egypt, and it's called um, the Valley of the Kings. Uh, This place is famous because it has a bunch of, it's basically an ancient graveyard, all right? It's filled with a bunch of tombs. Um, Most of these tombs have been looted and robbed over the course of the centuries. And you you have to think about it this way. Egyptian pharaohs and and rulers would put things into the tombs in order they believed to have them for the next life. Like, so they would store in their uh, food, they would store in their um, chariots, they would store in their money, they would store in their clothes, um, all so that they could have them when they believed that they would be uh, brought to life in, in a future world to come. And so all of their injury went to preserving on this earth But here's the thing, after they died, they would be looted, they would be robbed. Um, One of the ones that was, it was robbed, but it was, uh, wasn't robbed completely, was the tomb of King Tut, or King Tutankhamun. This is the 14th century BCE. And here is a replica of of a gold-covered and obsidian and ivory um, thing that was found in his tomb. Uh, imagine you're an archaeologist and you stumble upon this. This is like the holy grail of like archaeological finds. Like this is pretty cool stuff. You have a bunch of food. You have a bunch of, you have a table there. You have some other things. You have some places to sit. You have one of the ancient um, symbols of Egypt on the, on the left side there through a, a dog. There's another name for it, but I can't think of what it is right now. Um, you have the gilded chariot that's in there. These are all replicas of what they found. The amazing thing is, is that King Tut was not among the wealthiest of pharaohs. In fact, his, his power and, and his, um, his pedigree was, was, they believe, kind of paled in comparison to most. And this is like the amazing things that they found in his. They stored up all this stuff for themselves on earth because they thought that in amassing certain material things on this earth that they might make it to the next. And in contrast to that, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves all these things on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, things that are eternal, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, where your energy goes, where your passion lies, there your heart will be also. He's giving us the key to understanding stewardship through the lens of the kingdom. What you value will lead to what you love. What you value will become what you love. He says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And when you seek that first... 
What you value is the things that matter to the heart of God. Moses is a, um, a famous prophet from the Hebrew Bible. He, he's the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land with a slight detour through the wilderness for 40 years. Um, uh, he, he grew up, and, and many of you know this, some of you may not. Moses was born to a Jewish mom and dad. Um, the Pharaoh of that time was very threatened by the people of Israel, and so he was seeking to have all the young male babies killed and thrown into the Nile. Well, they put him in the Nile in a, in a, um, a basket of sorts. He's found by Pharaoh's daughter. So here he is, a, a Jewish man who spends about 40 years of his life being raised in Pharaoh's courts. He had all of this kind of stuff at his disposal. In fact, you can actually imagine that Moses probably rode in a chariot, something like that, at some point in time throughout his life. He had a lot of stuff at his disposal. And yet God had placed a huge burden in him for justice and to lead his people Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. To cut the story short, he ends up fleeing because um, he ends up murdering an Egyptian, and he comes back 40 years later to lead God's people out of Israel. The reason I tell you the story is here's a guy who had all the earthly possessions he could have wanted, and yet the book of Hebrews tells us something about how Moses looked at his life with God's perspective in mind. Here's what Hebrews 11 says. By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. Stepping on any toes yet? <laughs> For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. The reward for Moses was by faith he trusted God. By faith he trusted God's provision and God's deliverance and God's working no matter what it cost him on this earth because what mattered was not how many gilded chariots he had what mattered was walking with the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob and living faithfully before him and with him for the things God had placed before him to do when we think about this and ask ourselves the question where is your heart Maybe we could ask it this way, where's your treasure? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your treasure set upon God and his perfect sufficiency of grace for you today? Where's God asking you, prompting you, leading you by his spirit to trust him when it comes to material possessions? Trust him where it comes to money and investment. There's a lot of things we can invest in in this world. But the things that are eternal are that which matter most.
Would you pray with me, please? Our Father and our King, we thank you for stories like, uh, like Moses that demonstrate and remind us that it's not the things here that matter, it's the things that are eternal. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd reveal to us uniquely in our own way the earthly things that we've placed in line ahead of you and your kingdom. Lord, I don't know what that looks like for for each one of my brothers and sisters here today, but God, you do. Perhaps, Lord, we are are trusting in our bank accounts. Perhaps, God, we're trying to hedge against inflation by diversifying our assets. Perhaps, God, we're, we're seeking security and we're seeking peace, but we're doing it apart from the peace that you offer us. So, Lord, um, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are set upon you, your word, and the people you have placed around us, that we might use things to meet needs, and that we might invest well in that which is eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.